Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, there's a staid and coherent religious logic that runs as follows. We know the law, we know what's pleasing to God, and in light of that knowledge, we can determine who is in and who is out, who is righteous and who is unrighteous, whom God likes and whom he hates. As I say, it's a logic. It makes a certain sense. The only problem is it's not God's logic, not the way God thinks or calculates. We find it so appealing precisely because it serves the ego's need for affirmation. You know, if I can tell by means of the law that I'm higher than you, then I feel good. The law tells me that, well, you're a sinner and you're excluded and I'm on the inside, well, then I feel better. The trouble is, that's the way we think, but not the way God thinks. I want you to think about something. It might strike you as strange at first, but I want you to think about it. God does not need our moral excellence. Nor is God diminished by our moral depravity. Let me just say that again. I know it might sound strange or counterintuitive. God does not need our moral excellence. God is not diminished by our moral depravity. See, God needs nothing whatsoever. God is the creator of all things. Therefore, creation can add nothing to God's being. All of creation could disappear and God would not be diminished. Remember that wonderful preface in the liturgy says, our prayer of thanksgiving adds nothing to your greatness. Well, of course not. Nothing of ours adds to God's greatness. And so, the greatest of our moral achievements, say the love of a Mother Teresa or of a St. Francis, doesn't add one whit to God's perfection. And the greatest moral depravity, say Hitler's crimes or Stalin's or the crimes of a child molester, doesn't take one thing away from God's perfection. Now mind you, I'm not saying that moral excellence isn't excellent or that moral depravity isn't depraved. I'm just saying that God isn't affected or changed by either one. See, the logic I mentioned above is appealing because we are affected by moral goodness and moral evil. The former fills us with good feelings toward those who perform them, and the latter produce bad feelings in us. But friends, God doesn't react that way. For God is love. Period. Straight through. He makes his sun to shine on the good and bad alike. 
Does God shine His light on Mother Teresa? Of course. Does God shine His light on Adolf Hitler? Yes. He makes His rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Does His rain fall on St. Francis? Yes. Does His rain fall on Joseph Stalin? Yes. God is love. We project our feelings and reactions onto God. So we're warm and kind to those who do things that please us, and we're harsh and judgmental toward those who hurt us. And so we assume, well, of course, God must be that way. But it's not that way with God. Thank God. In the Gospel for today, Jesus tells three parables, all of which make this point. What we're meant to notice, I think, in each case, is how uncalculating, illogical, and disproportionate is the love of God. Let me say that again. We're meant to see in each case how uncalculating, illogical, and disproportionate is the love of God. First parable, addressing people who are well aware of the dynamics of shepherding, Jesus says. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? Now, you know, it's weird. It strikes us the way it's formulated as a kind of uh, rhetorical question. Like, well, sure, everyone knows the answer to that. Well, you know what the right answer would be? Precisely none. Precisely no shepherd in his right mind would do that. You know, shepherding here is not just some charming, bucolic activity. This was someone's livelihood. They were taking care of these hundred sheep. Their job was to watch them, protect them. This one idiot sheep goes wandering off into the wilderness. Well, of course the shepherd would leave the 99 unattended and go running after this errant sheep? Of course he wouldn't. No self-respecting shepherd would ever think of doing that. No, no, you cut your losses. If that sheep has wandered far enough away, it's probably dead anyway, you'd stay with the 99. You know, if you were the guy uh, employing that shepherd, you'd say, are you out of your mind wandering off looking for the one sheep? In the meantime, the 99 were attacked? More to it, this story is set in the desert. You're going to leave these 99 in the desert? No food, no water? What's Jesus' point here? God is like that foolish shepherd who loves not in a calculating way. Oh, I'll be good to those who cooperate and I'm going to be cruel and distant to those who don't. No, no. God loves extravagantly, irrationally, exuberantly, risking it all in order to find the one who's wandered away God's love throws caution to the wind and seeks out the lost sheep. Then in the second parable, we find something even goofier on display. We hear about this woman who's lost a coin. She frantically sweeps the house, turns the house upside down. And when she finds it, she's so overjoyed she invites all her friends and neighbors to come to a party to celebrate. 
And we say, well, yeah, that's a nice story. That sounds reasonable enough. <laughs> Come on. That story is nuts. The Greek word used for the coin here, by the way, is the word for the tiniest little coin, like a penny. So put this now in more modern terms. This friend of yours calls you up and says, Hey, hey, I'm having a party tonight. I'm inviting the whole neighborhood. Oh, really? Why? What's happening? Well, this morning I lost a penny. Yeah. And, and I tore the whole house apart. I turned all the furniture upside down. I, I swept the house. I searched all day. And, and just an hour ago I found this penny. And so I'm organizing a party to celebrate. What would you think? You would think your friend had lost her mind. I mean, just think for a second, the party would cost infinitely more than the goofy coin that she found. More to it, you spent the whole day looking for a penny? I mean, maybe 10 seconds. You know, if I drop a penny and it goes under the desk or something, maybe I'll spend 10 seconds looking for it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I wouldn't spend the whole day looking for it. And then I call all my colleagues here at the seminary. Oh, come, come to my room tonight. I, I found a penny that I dropped. And so we're going to celebrate. They would have me institutionalized. So God loves the lost sinner. Our expectation, oh no, God is good to those who are good. God is kind to those who cooperate with Him, who follow His commandments. Those who don't, those who wander away, those who are lost, maybe give them a few minutes, but he doesn't spend a lot of time with them. They're on the outs. Yeah, we'd like to operate that way. That's how we think. But God is like this kooky shepherd and like this even ditzier lady who throws a party for a lost penny. What great good news. That God does not love according to a strict justice on our terms, but loves in His own exuberant, extravagant way. And then finally, we have that great parable of the prodigal son. I know I've preached on it many times before. I just want to hit today this same theme. You've got here, symbolically expressed, the two types of people in these two brothers. There's a ne'er-do-well, and there's a righteous man. The first brother, the ne'er-do-well, he's the lost sheep that wanders off. He's that lost penny that's gone under the couch someplace. You know, he insults the old man. Father, give me my share of the inheritance coming to me. In other words, I'm not going to wait for you to die. I want it now. The scholars tell us, There'd be nothing more insulting in the ancient world than that. You know, fathers were revered figures of great respect. To insult your father that way, I mean, it's terrible. Then he has the gall to take all this money of his father that he didn't earn. It's his father's money. And he spends it on loose living. He disobeys every one of his father's commands. He moves away, he insults the father. He's the lost sheep. What would we say if we were advising that father? You know, I think maybe you should write him off. That's the last time he's doing that to you. If he's in trouble, let him stay in trouble. 
But what does the father do? Ah, like a madman. Like this goofy shepherd. Like this ditzy lady. This madman goes running down the hill to embrace his son when he comes back. Old men didn't run in the ancient world. They sat and people came to them to show their respect and obeisance. But this crazy old man goes running down the hill after this, this loser, after this prodigal. So God loves. Thank God. So God loves. Not in a calculating way. Not according to strict justice. But exuberantly. According to the pattern of his own love. And there's the older brother. He's one of those 99 sheep that never wandered off. Dutiful, good, obeyed all his father's commands, always did what he was told. He's good, good boy. He should be rewarded. In strict justice, punish that first kid, reward the second one. And isn't that precisely what the older brother thinks? That's exactly how he calculates. Father, I have obeyed every one of your commandments, and you've never given me anything. And this ne'er-do-well runs off and you go running down the hill like a madman. The older brother thinks the way we do. God should love according to these strict patterns. But he doesn't. Son, everything I've got is yours. Don't you know that? I don't love you because you follow my commands. I don't love you because you stay close to home. I love you because I love you, period. Friends, that's the God that Jesus proclaims. That's the God whom Jesus incarnates. That's the God to whom we ought to relate. Let's stop playing games of calculation. Who's in, who's out. That's a projection of our own insecurity. Rather, bask in this love that is exuberant, extravagant, irrational. The love of the God of Jesus. And may that God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.